he ended up writing the Gulag Archipelago. How do you oh, say archipelago. that? Archipelago. 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 Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> He ended up writing the Gulag Ar- Oh gosh, what's it called again? Archipelago. Archipelago. Okay. <laughs> he ended up writing the Gulag Archipelago. <laughs> um, can can you just say it? <laughs> yep, the Gulag. It's the Gulag Archipelago. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> oh, it's one of those words you read, but you don't often find opportunities to say. That's right. Welcome back to the Modern Lady Podcast. You're listening to episode 92. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lindsay. And today we are talking about overcoming blame and resentment. Psychologist and professor of psychology, Dr. Jordan Peterson, wrote in his book, 12 Rules for Life, quote, set your house in perfect order before you criticize the world, end quote. On paper, it sounds simple, and it sounds like an easy thing to do, but one look at the news, one look at social media, and even our own personal lives and relationships speaks to a different reality. When we're feeling out of sorts and out of order, the knee-jerk reaction tends to look outwards for the blame, and this is a huge antithesis to true growth. But first, if you enjoy this episode of the Modern Lady Podcast, please take a minute to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. Your review can help the Modern Lady stand out so that others may find us too. Your comments mean the world to us. This week's shout out goes to Buddy Eats All, who left us a wonderful review on iTunes and said, quote, I love your podcast. It has provided me with a positive commute and inspiration to carry on with my daily tasks. Although I am not a Christian, y'all have really provided such a fresh perspective with aids for developing positive character traits. Stay blessed. End quote. Well, thank you so much for your comments. We are so happy to be company on your commute. And thank you from this Canadian girl for the opportunity to say y'all on air. And if you would like to leave us a comment, you can do so on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com, or you can leave us a comment on Facebook or Instagram, where you can find us at The Modern Lady Podcast. And remember, you can now tune in and comment on our episodes on our YouTube channel. Just search for us under The Modern Lady Podcast, and don't forget to click subscribe. But before we get into today's chat, Lindsay has our Modern Lady Tip of the Week. Last week, we learned about the nightcap. And again, I'm not talking about the drink, but I do enjoy those nightcaps too. We learned they have been worn pretty much forever because people were cold. But then we also learned that Edwardian girls thought that they were only for old ladies until they discovered how helpful it was to cover their fancy hairdos as they slept. And then we also learned that we should never, ever, ever come to breakfast, (laughs) to the breakfast table in the nightcap that we actually slept in, that a breakfast cap is what all of the ladies wore. Today, we are going to learn how to perfume our hair while we are sleeping. Knowing that most women rarely wash their hair and knowing what my head smells like after only two days of not washing it, I'm excited to learn this tip. I'm getting my information from SoHistorically.com. Well, you need a scent cap. 
A scent cap is the same style as a mob cap that we spoke of last time. Uh, recall that it's a circular piece of fabric with an elastic running around it and a ruffled edge below the elastic that goes around the entire cap. Think of the maids in a period TV show. For a scent cap, you would choose the fabric based on what you could afford. Silk, of course, is the best option, but there was something called silkoline that would also work well. There needed to be a lining of the thinnest cashmere in order to hold the scent in, but it couldn't be too thick or one risks the chance of overheating. Between the inner cap and that next layer, a sachet of scent is sprinkled thickly. A 1910 health and beauty tip recommended orris root for its sweet yet not cloying smell. It would be better too if there was tufting in the cap so as to keep the herbs and flowers evenly distributed over the head and not just gathering in one spot. Now, in addition to this treatment, one could massage their scalp with hair tonics or even salt before bed, and after a good brushing, the hair would be loosely braided and rolled up. Don't get too excited, though. Women weren't advised to scent their hair every night or even to sleep in a nightcap every night, as they also believe that air, that hair should be aired regularly. So these special treatments were really only done once a week. So for the modern lady, I've learned that many women of different ethnic backgrounds still cover their hair when they sleep. This can prevent broken ends, flyaways, frizziness, and protect weaves and other delicate hairstyles. Remember, ladies, the Los Angeles Herald wrote in 1912 that, quote, a woman should never look ugly for a moment, even to herself. She should never, never get in the habit of being plain, even in the dark, behind the locked door of her room. It went on to say that a silky nightcap is doubly attractive, both because it protects the hair, but it's also a stylish accessory, so in vogue that every woman loved them. Well, I'm glad you came in there with that tip about, you know, this should only be done once a week, because already Mm. I was thinking, well, I don't have any of those herbs, but I do have salt. (laughs) (laughs) I could rub salt on my head. I could do that. Um, Yeah, I would need the cap, though, because... Otherwise, it would just be all over the, the pillowcase. <laughs> there are tips for protecting your pillowcase as well. This was a fair. Oh. I could have done many more episodes on nightcaps. There was a ton of information. <laughs> but all I can think about is I need to smell orris root. I need to know why it's sweet yeah. yet not cloying. Like I'm dying to smell orris root. So if anybody can hook us up, just let us know. And I need to know what cloying means so I know yes. not to smell like it from yes. here on out. <laughs> Theorist and late Harvard professor Robert Anthony once said, quote, when you blame others, you give up your power to change, end quote. Piggybacking off of last week's topic of self-awareness, we've been noticing quite a big cultural trend lately towards blaming the other. Now, it can be a legitimate thing, as we'll discuss, but there are some effects that come from blaming other people that could really hinder our own personal growth if left unchecked. Right, Lindsay? That's right, Michelle. In fact, one of our listeners actually wrote to us right after our episode launched this morning on self-awareness, and she told us how she grew in self-awareness and that one of the things that really helped her were 12-step recovery programs, and that was really a big part of her recovery. And she used the term, quote, brokenness awareness. And that stopped me in my tracks. Well, you and I liked Mm -hmm. to joke about Catholic guilt, which we still will joke about. Um, (laughs) I actually think brokenness awareness is a much more powerful phrase that really sums Mm -hmm. up what we were trying to express in last week's episode. 
Well, part of our brokenness awareness and therefore our, our journey to recovery from whatever we have to recover from, um, from whatever broke us is also exploring blame. It's part of that. Mm -hmm. And, and this means asking ourselves more tough questions like who or what hurt us and then what was our role in that situation and then how we can move forward and let go of the blame and can we forgive? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that those two last points that you said, I think are what really everything hinges on, right? Mm -hmm. Because um, I know that sometimes, you know, really starting to get into all this, you know, what a lot of people would call right now, deep work in our mm -hmm. own selves, can we can get really kind of stuck there a little bit. Um, but it, all of it serves as an impetus for change and an yeah. impetus for growth. And that's really what we're trying to highlight here with last week's episode and also with this week's episode too, as we're going to start like looking into blame and resentment and how that can affect our outlooks and perspectives. It's important to remember like why we would be even talking about this culturally in the first place. And that is to stop doing it <laughs> mm -hmm. and to find more productive and efficient means of growing and getting better ourselves. That's right. And now we did do a full episode a while back on forgiveness. And that episode is called mm -hmm. No Grudges in Heaven on Forgiving and Forgetting. So we obviously go into a lot of detail on that topic in that episode. So we recommend you listen to that one if you haven't. Uh, so we're only going to touch on forgiveness in this one. But yeah, like Michelle was just saying, we really want to focus today on letting go of the blame and resentment. Mm -hmm. So like always, we like to start with definitions and what is blame? Uh, blame is the opposite of praise. It is assigning responsibility for a fault or wrong. I think that trying to figure out who is responsible is a good thing, that it's part of the healing for many people. But some people stop at the blaming stage and never move past it and then slip into resentment. Now, what is resentment? The definition of resentment is bitter indignation at having been treated unfairly. And I found this mm -hmm. definition to be interesting because it does acknowledge that there was unfair treatment, but that there is perhaps another better way to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And I like that term too, the unfairly blaming a person, mm -hmm. because that's actually, that's actually what scapegoating is, right? Yeah. Um, so that's like the other, like another level up to just simple pointing out where blame lies. Um, scapegoating consists of singling out and unfairly blaming a person or a group or a situation for a wider problem. And when we were brainstorming this topic for the podcast, I think this is where probably I went in terms of thinking uh, mm -hmm. of the tendency of us as individuals and then even the wider as a society lately to be trying to find other people to blame for our own woes, but mm -hmm. in a really far-fetched and in an unfair way. Uh, and it almost seems like when this happens, when we can see it happening, I wonder if we can somehow see an almost desperate attempt uh, to just get weight off of our own backs, right? It's almost like, yeah. just get it off. Just <laughs> just take it away from me. It's, it's because of this. It's because of that. And so we can, you're right, like if we're not tempering proper blame and legitimate blame in so that we can recognize problems, then it can quickly spiral into this um, scapegoating or spiraling into resentment. So we need to be aware of it so we can prevent these things from happening. 
Yeah. And you're right. What you're saying is that we use it a lot of times as a defense mechanism, right? Uh, There's a really good quote here from Psychology Today, and I'll, I'll read the quote. So it says, as with destructive anger in general, blaming others for how we manage anger is a defensive strategy that helps us to avoid recognizing and experiencing difficult and challenging feelings such as shame, guilt, hurt, disappointment, sadness, and feelings of inadequacy and powerlessness. Blaming is like other formal defense mechanisms, a strategy of deception that we use to help preserve our own self-esteem. It encompasses an attempt to disown feelings that we judge to be too uncomfortable or part of ourselves that, that create within us a sense of shame. Blame, especially with regard to anger, also further reflects disowning our responsibility for our own behavior. And some of the words that jumped out at me, there were um, disruptive anger, defensive strategy, mm. avoidance of feeling our own feelings of shame, guilt, and hurt, and not res- taking responsibility for our own role. Yeah, I like that. Um, Jordan Peterson talks about in in his book that I quoted before, 12 Rules for Life, that you know when we're confronted with all of these uncomfortable feelings and uh, emotions and or situations that we don't know how to sort through he says you know quote we but we will not listen because the truth cuts too close to the bone mm-hmm. end quote and that's what I thought when you were saying that that sometimes we don't want to hear um, maybe our own part or uh, we don't want to think too deeply on something that could come back on us in certain situations. And so we will just turn it off. And instead, because we always seek to find a cause for the problems that we're facing, we'll then find or conjure um, the blame on something or someone else outside of ourselves. Okay. So this is a heavy episode, but we can do the hard things and we can handle the heavy conversations because as always, this podcast is meant to be a starting place, a jump, jumping off point for conversations, maybe at first within your own heart and then perhaps with your friends and family, and then maybe with your therapist or spiritual director. Mm-hmm. So we likely all have m- many different people that we have come across in our lives who have wounded us in one way or another regardless of if that was their intention or not, right? Those can be Mm -hmm. two different things, but we were hurt. And depending on how hurt, these wounds can really shape how we view ourselves and then impact uh, our future relationships. Uh, Being the wife of a police officer, I often hear stories, but not just of the crimes and criminals, right? Like I hear the other Mm -hmm. side too. I hear the stories of the victims and my husband carries those stories with him as do all police officers. And he spent many years on patrol. So he saw everything there that you can imagine, but he's done six years now as a detective investigating fraud and man, oh man, those stories, the fraud victims, they're just as upsetting as, you know, some of the Mm -hmm. more, what we would consider to be traumatic calls. And like, they're, these are people who are losing their life savings. They're widows and widowers who are, you know, just looking for comfort, who get wrapped up in romance scams. And anyways, these losses are often kept very private because the victims here feel incredibly foolish uh, Mm -hmm. and they feel like they should have seen it coming. And you know, if anybody here is listening, I want you to know that, like, trust me, these are educated professionals and they just, it's, they mm-hmm. just fell for it at that time. Right. But what I'm saying is that 
trauma can affect us in many ways and leave wounds that can impact us forever. And it can impact how we feel about sex and intimacy with our partners, how we parent our children, our own self-esteem, our emotional security, and our bank accounts and credit scores. Like it can leave a, 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 you know, a huge swath of damage across all of those things. Hmm. I totally agree. And that's why I really actually liked um, grasping the scapegoat definition too, mm. because I would say that, you know, the, the unhealthy side that is scapegoating is the unfair or the incomplete accusation mm. that you might blame on someone else, which we'll get to in a minute with, you know, issues of complexity and things like that. But to say that means that it implies that actual blame still does exist. <laughs> right. Right. And that there are these kinds of causes that we may blame things on and they are legitimate. And so it is totally correct to draw these connections and to place proper blame as a means to um, recognize a wrong that has been done and either to mm -hmm. correct it or to uh, bring justice to it. Right. So, yeah. yeah, I think when we when we say blame in a broader sense, even that has to be broken down. But I I'm glad that you made that distinction because I totally agree that there there is healthy blame and um, we need to acknowledge that it it does still exist, too. Right. And that we understand that everyone listening in, in our own lives, that there are levels of trauma, right? And so mm -hmm. we don't, because we could easily pop on here and just make it all saccharine and sweet and be like, okay, it's time to let it go and, you know, reclaim the power for yourself, which we will talk about later, but kind of keep it at that. <laughs> but we know some of you listening are going, but wait, but wait, like mm -hmm. really bad things have happened. Yeah. And so we mm -hmm. know that that's true as well. And so, yeah, as part of this journey for anybody, right, regardless of where you fall on that scale, um, we just, what we're talking about here is just the start of the opening up of the process of choosing to do that yourself and going, okay, I think I'm in a place right now where I'm ready to start to face these things, no matter their level of severity, that I'm ready to become self-aware, right? Piggybacking off of mm -hmm. last week's episode. And I am ready and willing to do the work to see myself as I truly am. And then to start to grow. Right. And it's just, a you know, an admonition to ourselves, um, even to be careful. Uh, like we mentioned in, in last week's episode, you know, this could become a case of, uh, blame could become a case of, well, obviously everyone else is to blame for my problems or the problems in the world, et cetera, but surely not me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and in, in that case, then this is where we're going to be moving now towards in, in this episode in that case, blame can stunt our growth in self-awareness mm. if it never moves past that diagnosis that we talked about into an actionable item. It's that whole idea of, you know, well, if you yourself are already perfect, you know, what need mm -hmm. have you of self-awareness or self-improvement? And also, uh, one more thought from last week is that blame is not em empowering, <laughs> yeah. but it can be a tool again, like we said, if it's proper and true to know where something is coming from or what has caused a particular struggle, that can be massively helpful in your personal growth. But it's not going to make the problem actually go away without mm. you now moving on from it or moving on it, I should say. And it's not even going to make you feel better to just sit and stew in this knowing that someone or something has wronged you somehow. And so this is like the the encouraging, empowering message. It's like, okay, then let's get back up and, and let's go forward. 
Yeah, Michelle. So I love what you just said. They're like, blame doesn't actually solve the problem. And I like, I'm kind of having that eureka moment myself right now. And it it doesn't <laughs> fix it. it. It might feel good, right? And it mm-hmm. might push away mm-hmm. um, and hold back the floodwaters of all of the emotions we don't want to deal with. But it doesn't mm-hmm. actually solve anything. And I can't believe right. I'm just really grasping that right now. Right. Oh, me too. This is a very recent uh, moment of enlightenment for me too. I'm just like, oh my goodness, I have to move on past this now. Or like I said, move on it. So now now there comes a time to put into plan or put into action a plan um, and figure out where your next move is because that's when you start taking control and um, putting order back to your own life. That's right. So like we were saying earlier, sometimes we choose that now is the time that we're ready to open ourselves up to all of that. And, you know, sometimes though it is thrust upon us that we didn't, weren't expecting all of these things to happen to us right now that we may have to explore it. Um, we have to face it sometimes when we aren't ready, but thankfully mm. there are phenomenal resources out there. And when, if, and when we decide we're ready to let go of the blame and resentment, like honestly, one quick Google search. And there are so many templates and forms and step-by-step guides. There's a lot for it. So we aren't professionals. We're just barely scratching the surface here, but we do have a few tools that we can recommend for overcoming blame and preventing it from slipping into resentment. Yeah, I guess it's been a while since we've put a disclaimer on the podcast, eh? <laughs> In case anybody Not thought, like over, right, over Christmas break, we became therapists or so we finished our PhDs. <laughs> uh, still sitting in our closet. Don't worry. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so when we're ready to process through our past and when we decide that we no longer want to carry the blame with us, there are a few questions that we could ask ourselves. And one of them is, How did this person or this situation change how I see myself? And Mm. I thought that's really, really interesting, especially if our goal is self-awareness, right? Mm -hmm. I've never asked myself that because clearly situations and people do change how we see ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I've never really sat down to think about that. And then another good question is, am I projecting a person from my past onto current relationships? Like, am I still hearing their voice instead of the people that are actually in my life right now? Right? Wow. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Hitting close to home. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Those two things seem like they go really hand in hand. I I can Mm -hmm. see how if you're not stopping to ask yourselves the the first question or the first consideration of how are these things impacting how you see yourself, Mm -hmm. I can totally see how a knee-jerk reaction could be to start projecting those parts of yourself that you're trying to suppress almost (laughs) onto other people and onto relationships, often unsuspecting people, right? And that's... It, it just further skews like it's all such um, self-inflicted sometimes not conscious uh, but deception and uh, a distortion that's a better a word distortion for it. yeah like you're yes. not seeing clearly we can't that's right. right you know how you can be mm-hmm. blinded by rage or blinded by anger you can be blinded I think by by blame as well like it's just you, it's impossible to see the situation clearly that you're mm-hmm. in at the present moment when it is so um 
yeah, just, I guess, overcome, influenced, influenced right? by sometimes decades of these yeah. past wounds and traumas and then displaced blame. Like it's really, mm-hmm. I'm really seeing um, how much of a bigger problem this is. In fact, it really does start in childhood. Um, it started in childhood mm-hmm. for most people as a way to protect themselves from harm and blame becomes a safety blanket, a coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. And then this response is hardwired into our brains. It becomes a reflex and many people do it without even realizing it. I know we've been talking about serious trauma here, but I bet if we were honest and had a good look at our, just our average day, we Mm. would realize, I would realize um, just how many times I blame people throughout the day. Cause I don't, I think I've come so far in my life and I've moved past a lot of blame, but I'm like, wait a second. Every time I spill milk, I'm like, well, if the kids had finished, you know, drinking Mm. out of that cup, I wouldn't have spilled it. Or all of those things. If I burned dinner, if that person hadn't called right then, like there is just a lot of blaming going on. And I'm realizing now like the habitual side of blaming on top of like the, the deep trauma, um, of, of trying to identify the, the just cause of something. Now, a study done by goodtherapy.org showed that 35 to 45% of children experience some sort of attachment issue. And then this Mm. turns into a kind of a skewed idea of self. And that has a lot of outcomes, but one of them is that they do tend to blame blame others instead of owning up to their own mistakes. So Mm. yeah. Interesting. (laughs) Interesting. And you know what, as a mother, I will have to say from experience just this morning, Mm. um, it is so much easier to blame Mm -hmm. someone or something else, even for the little mundane things. Right. And, um, this morning I recognized probably purely by grace. It was like mm-hmm. a God moment when he's like, uh, uh, uh. Um, <laughs> I was talking to the kids about how we, you know, are sometimes I'm hearing how they're speaking to one another mm-hmm. unkindly. And as I'm saying this, I'm like, I'm saying this in a rather unkind way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just blaming um, other people for the, environment of the house and so I shifted like mid-sentence and (laughs) said you know this is something we all have to work on yes yes (laughs) so those babies I didn't outright outright say like and I am also to blame but I insinuated and that's going to have to be enough for today it's a long (laughs) lifelong process (laughs) but but in that moment I realized how much easier it would have been to just have left it on them right and just said like you guys don't talk to each other kindly and it's bringing down the house (laughs) without recognizing that I am also not you know the paragon of virtue in this regard and that I also have work to do too so um, it is much easier and even just, just acknowledging that could help us take a step forward. Well, this has been really eye-opening for me in doing this research because like what we're saying, I, when I first thought of this topic, like I went immediately to the bigger things, right? To the heavier traumas. Yeah. And then just really going, oh my goodness, like the daily <laughs> habit of blame. It is, a, it does erode so many of our virtuous efforts. It really does. And it really mm. does. So like, yeah, all you have to do is listen to a couple of siblings or walk into a room when there's a vase broken and say, okay, what happened here? And if you have four kids like yeah. each of you and I do, you're going to hear four different stories of blame. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, yeah, I'm really seeing now um, just how on all so many different levels, we really need to kick this habit in the butt. And mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I'm I'm feeling very convicted right now, Michelle. <laughs> I know. <laughs> even even more so than when we first started recording. Uh-huh. Yep. Case, right? <laughs> I am I'm wrong. I accept it. I accept the blame. I'm ready to fall on my knees. <laughs> um, but you know what? This kind of goes along with um recognizing, and this is another tool that we can use too, of being aware of the complexity of situations and of mm. people mm. and ourselves, right? Sometimes matters can be solved very simply, cause mm. and effect. You know, this happened yeah. and this is why. Um, but sometimes it's more complicated than that, you know, and we can be very objective observers of our own motives and our own needs and our own desires um, in recognizing that, you know, there could be multiple problems in the bigger issues, like what you're saying. Um, oh, I don't Do we even want to go here? Um Oh, sure. What the heck? <laughs> Elections, for example. <laughs> oh, oh, gosh. Just, okay. no, j- very generic, everyday, mm. run-of-the-mill elections, okay? Not any particular right. ones. Right. We're specifically. Canadians. We're can- everyone. Right? Yeah. We're so third party here. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But just in general, elections, right? This mm. runs on like all parties, all sides of the political spectrum. So um, you see the blaming all the time. Like if only so-and-so hadn't been elected, then this like generations long, deeply seated societal oh, yeah. problem would have disappeared, yeah. right? Without recognizing like, actually it's a lot more complex than that. Like there have been a lot of people and a lot of policies and a lot of um, circumstances and situations that have shaped where we've gotten to now as a collective society, that can really help write our thought process. And then bringing it down to the personal level, right? You could, mm. you know, you could say, um, why are you so tired? Well, you could just pin it on going to bed late. And that's probably true. But also, have you been exercising lately? Are you under a lot of stress at work? Is one of your children struggling and that's been weighing heavily on your mind? Are you eating well or are you deficient in nutrients that might be critical for sleep, like magnesium? You know, you get this, you get the idea, mm-hmm. but it can be rarer than we initially think in a knee-jerk reaction to our problems that there is only one person or one thing to blame right. in any one circumstance. And that can, I think exercising that can just help us to be objective in our facing um, situations and problems that come up in our lives. Oh, I love that so much. It's, it's true. It's really having to step back be calm, be rational and think about like you're saying, okay, this is a complex situation. Another thing you can do when you do that, when you step back and you look at it is you, you, you have to develop empathy. A lot Mm -hmm. of blame comes from a lack of empathy, right? Our inability to see what's really going on in someone else's life and why, Mm -hmm. even if they did the thing, right. And we're not making it up and they did something and it hurt us. Um, we really should be able to step back and try to put ourselves in their shoes for a minute. Now, according to the website medium.com, there are a few ways to grow in empathy. Mm-hmm. And I can sum them up by saying that you can actively work to see things from the other person's perspective, that you could use your imagination and kind of role play what would you would do in their shoes, uh, what this would mean to them, um, you know, coming from the other side. And you separate yourself from your own experience and then you extend compassion, right? 
You see them mm-hmm. suffering. You stop thinking about your own. You see them suffering. You feel that empathy. And then you take actions to reduce their own suffering. Now, this is huge. Instead of blaming mm-hmm. someone, you decide to see it from their side. I mean, what a game changer. In the same article, Dr. Dan Siegel says, quote, this isn't about weighing in on the guilt or innocence of either person. And I'm, and I was just like dumbfounded, right? This isn't, so they can be guilty or innocent. This isn't about that. Um, Mm -hmm. Remember back to the definition of blame, that assigning responsibility or fault. Yeah. This Mm -hmm. isn't about absolving them of that responsibility, but it's all about letting go of the power that the blame gives you so that it doesn't fester into resentment. Wow. I'm going to have to think about that one. That's yeah. (laughs) Well, you know the saying, yeah. You know the Mm -hmm. saying, um, hurt people, hurt people. Yes. And yeah. the opposite is true. Right? There's another one that floats around that says like forgiven people forgive people. Right. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it's just, again, like you're saying there, it's a complex situation. And I think that we are so used to reducing things down to the lowest common denominator mm-hmm. um, that we really do forget that there are so many things at play here. And in the rest of that article in psychology today, it does share a few more steps for reducing your tendency to blame others. And it mentions that it's important to recognize it when you're doing it reflect on what purpose the blame serves. Like what, what will it do Uh, if I blame this person? Does it make mm -hmm. your life better? Uh, Identify the real reason why you are suffering. So they might've done something, but that might not be the actual cause of the suffering. Like it might be a, the suffering Mm. might be from something else or a byproduct of that. And then finally learn how to be assertive then in speaking up for yourself, sharing what you're feeling, but not necessarily sharing what the other person did wrong when you can share what happened to mm-hmm. you without all of a sudden slipping into the blame of the other person mm-hmm. and isn't that empowering right mm-hmm. like and even just highlighting how far um that can take a person uh, even the language changes when right. we're starting to talk about these tools, right? Uh, all of a sudden, the the image it conjures in my mind is a person that walks with their shoulders back and their head held high, and they're not yeah. affected. Uh, not only do they not blame other people, but they're not affected by the blame others may cast on them. And yeah. that's a huge thing. That's another side of it, too, that I haven't really thought of uh, all that much. That you can much. maintain your dignity, right? Like that you can yes. walk away with dignity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love that. And I think that that's something that individually I would love to dig deeper on. But like collectively, I think there's been a lot of talk lately about reclaiming the dignity of the mm-hmm. person. What does it mean to have dignity or to treat other people with dignity? And yeah. uh, I love what you were saying about like, what does blaming accomplish? Yeah. The dignity of people is one of the things that is lost when we just jump to the sometimes convenient uh, scapegoating option yeah. <laughs> that blame yeah. can often present. And mm. we lose theirs, right? We strip them of theirs, but we also don't like gain ours. Like we lose our mm-hmm. dignity too. There is no dignity in blaming someone else. So it's just lost across the board. Um, right. Now we're ready to like talk about the, the final stage of this, of taking back your power, because we recognize here now that blaming doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't fix the problems and it strips everyone of their dignity. So when we blame others, we are, as we were saying before, blinding ourselves from seeing our own self-worth, not even just the situation where, you know, whereas we're saying that everything is hard to see clearly, but we also cannot see our own self-worth 
properly. Because we have given these people the power to hold such sway over our lives, and this sometimes lasts decades, that we decrease Mm. our own power. We allow ourselves to be victimized over and over and over again, long after the initial incident. And I think that the way that I've seen that present itself in my own life is that it's like the cycle of anxiety that we might not even be aware of. So every Mm. time we replay the narrative, right, in order to reaffirm that we have somebody to blame, that we have assigned the blame, we have to tell ourselves that story. Okay, this is who's to blame. And this is what they've done to wrong us. So every time because we have to continue that. So if we're going to, you know, maintain that position. So every time we have to replay that narrative on our head, we end up reliving the pain over and over and over again, keeping ourselves in a constant state of tension and anxiety. It's not free. Mm -hmm. We're not free. We're just putting up all of these roadblocks that are preventing us from going ahead and moving forward. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think of it in that way that blame needs to be perpetuated forever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because when you stop blaming, then you are then actively trying to find a solution. Mm-hmm. For that's right. The problem, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, to, to seek blame for the big things and for the little things. Like sometimes you won't be able to get there on your own or yeah. in any short amount of time either. And there is no timeline, I think, <laughs> yeah. um, especially when it comes to these big, bigger things where we need to properly assign blame to something that's happened. But even then, I think that there can be that freedom that you're talking about, that freedom found with saying, I'm not playing your game anymore and I'm moving on um, and I'm going to find the people and the resources and the tools that are going to help me thrive. Um, I think, I think that is incredibly encouraging. Yeah, you're right. It it just takes a ridiculous amount of energy to stay in that place. Right. And yeah, the work, Mm. we might look at the work of healing as a huge mountain that we're going to have to climb, but so is the work of staying angry and staying bitter and resentful (laughs) and blame, right? They both are hard. True, They're both hard work. So, um, yeah, when you let go of that, it's just, you're really freeing yourself up. And I realized too, blame is contagious. Uh, it leads mm. to more blaming, right? More finger pointing back and forth. Mm. People point back at you when they feel that they're under attack and it's generational. Like it's just something mm-hmm. that we can finally say no and work actively to stop it. And now again, that I'm so convicted about just little areas of blame happening in my everyday life, I'm like learning Mm -hmm. to stop it right there. Um, that, oh man, the chance to grow in your self-awareness and self-acceptance, um, to seek forgiveness for the wrongs that you have done also, then you're just going to be fully ready to pour out that forgiveness, that clemency, that mercy on the people that have wronged you. Mm -hmm. Um, if you'll allow me one more reference to Jordan Peterson's book, mm-hmm. <laughs> what am I reading right now? Anyways, <laughs> um, he actually, he provides the best story that illustrates this. And he talks about a man named Alexander. Oh, <laughs> here's my Russian. Um, <laughs> Solzhenitsyn. I'll okay. say that. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologize for that. Anyways, he was uh, he was imprisoned in a Soviet labor camp. Um, this man fought against the Nazis as part of the Russian army, but then he was thrown into a Russian prison camp by his own people. He was diagnosed with cancer while in prison. He was abused and beaten while he was in there. 
Um, But the interesting thing that Peterson notes is that instead of descending into this resentment and vengeance, he spent a lot of time examining what led him there, examining his own life, ways that he may have wanted to do things differently. For example, he actually himself was an avid supporter of the Communist Party when he was younger. And it was that same um, party that ended up putting him into prison. So all of these thoughts and after intense reflection on his own life, he ended up writing the Gulag Archipelago. How do you say that? Archipelago. 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 Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. But that book is a history of the Soviet prison camp system. Mm -hmm. And I've obviously never read it myself, but (laughs) Peterson says (laughs) that it's It's a forceful, terrible book written with the overwhelming moral force of unvarnished truth. Uh, But it ended up being one of the main things that ultimately demolished the intellectual credibility of communism at the Mm -hmm. time in the West, uh, which was a huge point of contention, right? And as Peterson summarizes, you know, this one man's decision to change his life instead of cursing fate it shook the entire system of communism to its core. And uh, it makes you wonder, you know, what could happen in my own life if I did the same? What could happen in my family, in our communities, in the world if we all did the same? So Michelle, you alluded before that, you know, all we need to do is spend a couple minutes online, right? Twitter in particular, Mm -hmm. and you'll just see that most of the conversations there are fueled by blame and a total lack of self-knowledge and personal responsibility. Actress Catherine Hepburn said, we are taught that you must blame your father, your sisters, your brothers, the school, the teachers, but never blame yourself. It's never your fault. But it is always your fault, because if you wanted to change, you're the one who's got to change. There is a lot of healing to be found and resources aplenty available. And let me tell you, it is far easier to make the decision yourself that you're going to let go of blame and resentment instead of waiting for a situation to happen when you're forced to examine those things when you weren't expecting it. We cannot control anyone else's actions other than our own, and we all carry within us the scars of past wounds, but by not moving forward, we are choosing to continue to be victims. We are continuing to give our power, our personal autonomy away, and only you can decide that it's time for the blame game to end so that you can move forward, perhaps today, perhaps right now. time for our what we're loving this week segment of the show so Lindsay, what have you been loving this week there is a new documentary on amazon prime called the world's greatest fair have you seen that pop up in your amazon prime i don't think i have Mm -hmm. no well we've made it most of the way through because we fell asleep um but unless something crazy in it happens i think i'm fairly (laughs) confident recommending it to everyone here um i don't know if you've ever come across when you've read about history the world's fair right like they were done all Mm -hmm. the time throughout europe and sometimes in the in the new world um and as the title says, for those people who don't know, it is a fair that happened around the world. Um, and they would usually <laughs> showcase everything amazing. And the host country would, you know, really put on a great show. And they would especially show like new technologies and like mm-hmm. forward thinking things in science, and that kind of thing. Well, 
After a wee bit of rivalry between Chicago and St. Louis, St. Louis decided to pull out all of the stops in 1904, and they did the craziest World's Fair that anyone has ever seen. And this documentary is all about that fair. I had no idea about any of this. I was absolutely huh. shocked. Um, I won't spoil any of the details for anyone. And I, again, I hope nothing controversial pops up in the last 30 minutes or so that we missed. Um, but it was absolutely fascinating. And I think I would totally put it on and watch it again with my kids. So again, Amazon Prime, it's I think it's a new release and it's called The World's mm. Greatest Fair. Oh, that sounds awesome. We watched The Current War. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've heard of that with yeah. Tesla and Edison or whatever. Yes, Edison and Westinghouse mostly, oh, but yeah, Tesla okay. is in it too. Yeah, but they were also at a World Fair as well. Oh, excellent. Yes. I couldn't so remember which one it was. I don't think it was the crazy one. <laughs> so, Michelle, what are you loving this week? So, we just finished watching a new release movie actually called Tenet. Have you mm. seen ads oh, for that one at all? I have heard it's the Christopher Nolan movie. Yes, directed by Christopher Nolan. It came out last year. It stars, um, oh, what is his name? John David Washington, who's the son of Denzel Washington. No, he isn't. No, he he is. I love multi-generation. Oh, my goodness. We're so old now. Like, (laughs) their kids are stars. Oh, wow. I know. I know. It's crazy. Okay. Um, But the director, Christopher Nolan, that should be your clue right there that this movie is directed by the man who gave us Inception and Mm -hmm. Interstellar. So, Mm -hmm. you know, this is going to be a mental trip, (laughs) but in, in such a good way. So while Phil and I were watching it this weekend, I'd periodically ask him, do you understand what's going on? And he'd be (laughs) like, kind of. (laughs) And, And then we actually YouTubed an explanation video after we finished the movie the whole thing, though, does a good job of being complicated without going so far over your head that you're tempted to just turn it off. Mm. And so one interesting fact that goes along with that that I got in one of those YouTube videos afterwards is the origin of the word tenet. Uh, do you know where that no. came from? No. Okay. So it's said that Nolan got this from the famed Sator Square, which is an ancient square made up of a five-word five word palindromes which, you know, word means those are words that you can read backwards or forwards. Yeah. And in this square, you can read it backwards, forwards, downwards, upside down, rotated <gasps> 180 degrees. There are these five words. And it's pretty interesting, but there's so much about it. I can't get into all of it right now. You'll have to look it up oh yourself to see goodness. what I mean. Yeah. But the very middle word in the puzzle is tenet. And its letters are central to the other five or the other four. So it's also neat how these other words are also incorporated into the film. So I check it out. If you need something to mentally stimulate you while we hunker down for the winter, um, I thought Tenet was really good. Now, just one one note of caution that some of the language was a bit crass um, during the movie. Just know that that comes up very, very tiny amount. Okay, that's going to do it for us this week. And if you want to get in touch and chat with us about our topic today, you can find us on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com or leave us a comment on Facebook or Instagram at The Modern Lady Podcast. And you can now catch us on YouTube under our channel, The Modern Lady Podcast. I'm Michelle Sachs, and you can find me on Instagram at mmsachs. And I'm Lindsay Murray, and you can find me on Instagram at Lindsay Homemaker. 
Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week and we will see you next time.